Are you on? Is I'm not on, am I? Uh, you switched it on. It's got to be switched no, on. No, I don't think I turned it off. Uh, Let's see. We've got lift off. Yeah. Hooray. <laughs> um, that sounds a lot better. Well, it's lovely to be here. And um, well done for missing the football. Just turn around to somebody next to you and say whether it was a cost or a gain to miss the football tonight. <laughs> I, I have to confess, I am not particularly sad to be missing the football, especially England, which is always just agony. Um, well, tonight we are thinking about our everlasting God, but in particular, his everlasting love for us. And he speaks through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And there is a verse that will change your life if you take that one in. So we're going to think a bit tonight about what it means to know the one who loves you and who loves me with an everlasting love. Um, I have uh, three sons and my middle son, I went to pick up from Brighton a couple of weeks ago where he had finally finished uni and we decided we'd go for a walk on the downs there because he really really loves the downs and there's a particular spot which is supposed to have an absolutely stunning viewpoint and hopefully we should have the viewpoint there it is it's absolutely staggering except it wasn't and this is what we saw <laughs> And not that I'm complaining at the sight of my lovely son, Connor, who we can disappear now. Um, but we arrived up there, and I had seen the picture of that amazing viewpoint from the National Trust, which I do trust. And I had heard about it from friends who had walked it. But rather like, you know, we see the picture of who God is in his word and we maybe hear about who God is but sometimes there's a bit of a fog but thankfully I think this verse is just part of God's word that is brighter than the sun to clear away the fog so let's just pray for a moment um, that God's spirit of revelation falls tonight father we know that you are present here but we also know that so often our view of you is clouded. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come like the wind to blow away the mist and the fog? Would you come like the bright sunshine to burn up all those things that stop us from seeing how wonderful you are? Amen. God says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the... Let's read it out together, actually. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God is everlasting. He is the first. That's what Alpha means. It's the first letter of the Greek alphabet. And he was there before creation before the big bang he's the one who set it off he began the universe this is a way of saying i am the alpha i am the beginning of it all he began the universe and 
amazingly, he began you. I wonder, have you ever really taken that in? He thought of you before you ever had a thought of him. Paul says he chose us before the creation of the universe. I remember when um, I was pregnant with my boys in those days, it's quite a long time ago, um, you'd have a scan and the scans weren't great and you'd look and it looked a bit like a tortoise, to be honest, but you nonetheless felt excited. But I remember looking at them and thinking, this is just extraordinary that what it says in Psalm 139 is true. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So God was there at your start. God is the beginning of it all. He's always the one who initiates He's the one who made the first step to save you before you had even cast him a glance. He loved you first. I don't know if you feel you know him tonight, but he came in Christ to save you before you'd even known a thing about him. And the amazing truth of the gospel is that that means we don't have to earn it. And I go and speak in so many different places and Christians still think they have to earn the love of God. That's what most people out there think Christianity is. It's a real try hard to be good. And there's quite a lot of people in churches who think that as well. But we need to get this, that it isn't about us earning it. And when I wrote the book on this beautiful blessing in number six, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you, and so it goes on. It was a blessing given by God to a sinful people who had just made a golden calf to worship. Because God's blessing doesn't come according to us deserving it. And if you think you've got to deserve God's blessing to get it, then you are going to wait because you're going to be pushing it away because it comes always to you by grace. It's always God initiating it. Paul says God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I've just always so loved that verse. And I wanted to start with that tonight because so often as we think about receiving God's love, people often just feel, well, actually, if God really knew me, he wouldn't really, really love me. But he's the one who took our sins, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. We just have to receive it. So... Tonight, we're thinking about the God who loved us first. Why does it matter so much that we get this? Well, John says, we love because he first loved us. And I don't know about you, I will be honest that I have some people in my life who I struggle to love. You may have nobody in your life like that. Nobody you've ever struggled to love or forgive. But here we have from God the most endless source of love. And tonight, if you can feel your love bank is a bit dry, then God's waiting to pour his love in to you. So how does God love you? 
In what way does he love you? He doesn't love you, despite what we sometimes think, with a distant love. He loves you like when you fall in love and you cannot stop thinking about the person that you love. Maybe there's somebody here in love tonight who's feeling like that. God cannot stop thinking about you. I wonder if you know that right now, God is thinking about you. His word says he's mindful of you. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here who's had the courage to have a tattoo. I have not had the courage to have a tattoo, but I do admire those who do. And we have a guy in our church who has had four children, and he has had each of their names tattooed on his, I'm trying to think whether it's his chest or his back. I think it's a mixture. And I was like, that would be enough to stop me having any more children, just the thought of it. And God didn't just have a tattoo. He actually has engraved you, his word says, on the palm of his hand. It's just the most wonderful verse in Isaiah. He's so mindful of you. And I sometimes try and I'm, I'm not very organized. And I will grab a sticky label and try and do, give myself a reminder, you know, and I'll stick it somewhere where I think I'll see it. And if I really am in trouble, I'll actually write it on my hand because I tend to lose the sticky labels. Well, God so wants you there before him. It's a picture of how important you are that he says, see, I've engraved you on the palm of my hand. That's permanent. That's a sign of permanent mindfulness of you. I don't know if you ever do this where you flick through the channels. Do you, anybody else guilty of a little channel surfing and you end up on some dreadful program and get drawn into it? Maybe nobody else does that. And I remember flicking through the channels and ending up with tattoo nightmares. Anybody else want to confess to having watched some tattoo nightmares? And uh, one of the guys on Tattoo Nightmares, which is all about dreadful tattoos, had had five girls tattooed on his arm. And every time he'd had a girlfriend, he'd tattooed her name on and then crossed it out when she, she'd run out. And I sort of got to number five and I thought, oh dear, I should think you're a bit worried. Um, the fact is that human commitments fail, don't they? And all of us, I suspect, have experienced some of the fallout of that. Johnny Depp fam famously put um, Winona forever, because he was together with Winona Ryder on his arm. And then that all went wrong, and he crossed it out, crossed out part of it, so it now says, why no forever? It's kind of sad. But you know, engraving is even stronger and more permanent than a tattoo. Jesus has literal marks on his hands from the cross for you. And we're told that he still has them in his resurrection body in heaven. Jesus at the right hand of the Father looks at those literal marks that are the signs of his great, great love for you. Why did he have them? Why was he pierced on that cross? Because he wants you 
forever because he loves you not just with a temporary transient quick love but with an eternal everlasting love it is the sign that he is eternally faithful to you and I, I was close to cancelling coming tonight because I have had the toughest year of my life thus far. And in October, my beloved husband went out running and he had a heart attack and he died. Uh, he went to glory. And it has been an incredibly tough year for us and we're not quite at the end of it because he was a vicar we have to move house I have to change my job and my role and we're you know part of a time of enormous transition and loss but it has been so precious to me to know the eternal everlasting love of God because we have a God who wants to be with you and me forever. So whatever you are facing, your forever is with him. And as I have discovered, this bit here can be a bit shorter than we expected. But we live it so differently when we remember that we are heading to forever with God. It changes Everything when we know that we are heading to forever with the one who loves us best of all. And it deeply reassures us when we know that he is eternally mindful of us. I had an email from eBay a few months ago that just had as the title, You are always on our mind, Kate. And I thought, I don't think I am. At least I really hope I'm not. But the truth is, you are always on God's mind. Always. His eyes are never turned away from you. It says in Psalm 8, When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Isn't that amazing that the one who made the hugeness of the whole universe, yet he sees you and he knows. What does it mean that God is mindful of you? Well, it means he's alert, he's focused, he's paying attention to everything. In Matthew 10, we're told not a sparrow falls to the ground without God noticing. He is the God who sees us. That's actually one of his names. It was given to him in Genesis. It was a revelation that was first given, and I really love this, to someone who totally expected to be overlooked by God. She was an Egyptian slave girl in the desert called Hagar. And I could tell you lots about her, but we will save her maybe for another day. But I really love her story because she was a total outsider but God came and spoke to her and showed her who he was. And she said, I've seen the one who sees me. And that's actually my prayer for you tonight, that you will leave saying, I've seen the one who sees me. 
I've begun to see his everlasting love for me. Because you see, everything changes when I begin to recognize that the most important eyes in the universe are watching me with love. And I'd love you to just turn around to somebody near you and tell them the most important eyes in the universe are watching you with love. Write that down somewhere, take it in. That will really change how you live life if you begin to get that. He knows everything about you. He numbers the hairs on your head. He knows there's some gray ones appearing right here. He really does know the details. Last week, I went to pick up my youngest son from Exeter. And if I'm really honest, I was dreading it because it was always a journey that my husband did. And I don't like long drives. I find it a bit stressful. I was quite stressed at the thought of getting the bike, his bike on the back of the car, and driving back with it. And uh, I had to get from Richmond to Exeter. And I'd been thinking ahead to it. And my mum rung me up. And she had no idea this was the week I was going to go and pick up Ben. So about four weeks ago, she rang me up three weeks ago. And she said, actually, Dad and I are going to stay for a week in a house in Devon, and we'd love you to come and join us. And it just happened to be the week I was going to Devon. A week after that, I'd been sort of thinking, is that the right thing? They're staying in quite a small house, and actually I'd quite like to take Connor with me. I don't think their house is going to be quite big enough, but it'd be lovely to spend a few days down there. Then about a week after that, somebody from our church came and said to me, Kate, I have a cottage in Devon, and I'd love it if you ever wanted to go and stay there. So I said, well, actually, that might be great. So I agreed to go. I discovered that her cottage was literally five minutes' walk from the cottage that my mum and dad had booked. I couldn't have planned it, but God pays attention to us. He really does understand our needs. And I think sometimes we just believe the lie that God's a bit busy, that, you know, he's got an awful lot on his plate, and maybe he couldn't quite have time to think about the things that are bothering me. And I, uh, a friend of mine, um, uh, I saw her, and, and she'd got really nasty skin condition on her leg. And I said, oh, can I pray for you? And she said, oh, no, I wouldn't want to bother God with that. <laughs> And I was like, do you think he's too busy? Do you think he's like an air traffic controller who's sort of going, no, no, I've got a jumbo jet coming in here. There's a terrible famine over in India. I can't deal with you. You know, he's not like that. He's actually the God of the universe. And he's big enough to care about the little things that worry us. And we need to know that the everlasting God is mindful of us or we won't trust him. Mary in the Bible said he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. I think that's why she could trust him to go through that journey on the donkey. She knew who God was. I wonder, do you 
do you know that he really knows you? He really knows about that stuff that you're worried about, the things that keep you awake at night, the things that make your heart sad. He knows your name. Do you know that? I wonder, do you know the name of the person next to you? Just check you do. Just make sure you know the name. <laughs> and maybe you could just look at the people on either side of you and just pray quietly a prayer that they would know that God is mindful of them. So just in the quiet, we're just going to do that. Just pray for the person next to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are mindful of us. Thank you that we're engraved on the palm of our hands, on your, uh, the palm of your hands. You see, you have the attention of the Almighty God. Isn't that absolutely amazing? Does that not make your mind boggle uh, just a little bit? Peter says, give God all your worries and all your cares, for he is always thinking about you. He really does know. I, I was speaking at an event um, somewhere, and uh, I'd been speaking around perfectionism, and a woman came up, and um, she came up for prayer ministry. In fact, I can't even remember if I was speaking on perfectionism, but that's what came up anyhow. She came up for prayer ministry, and I had a picture of her carrying a really heavy rucksack that was cutting into her shoulders. And she burst into tears, and she said to me, I've got bruises on my shoulders because I'm a head teacher, and I've brought all my marking away with me and I'm just crippled by perfectionism and I thought how kind of the Lord you see he knows about us and he doesn't want us carrying these burdens he wants us to know that he loves us with an everlasting love that we have his attention. And I know for me, I struggle so much less with insecurity when I begin to think and focus on his great love for me. Because I, I think as Christians, we kind of know we should have an eternal perspective. You know, we know we ought to live with our eyes on eternity, but it's hard, isn't it, in a culture that cares so much about all the temporary stuff. I discovered recently that in the UK, the beauty industry is worth 17 billion, which is more than our aid budget. 95% of British women are discontent with their appearance. But be glad you don't live in Manchester because it's 97% there. 70% of adolescent girls dislike their bodies. That's pretty sad, isn't it? And we're not helped by social media. There's just endless photos and pictures and images. There's been a rise in rhinoplasty, which has nothing to do with rhinos. It's cosmetic surgery for noses. And I found this really, it's just a kind of really sad, sad fact that it comes from all the people taking selfies of themselves. And apparently the, the phones act like a trick mirror and they make your nose look bigger. 
So there are all these girls going and getting their nose jobs done from these trick images. We, we can so quickly get caught in by the world's values to a degree that is absolutely crippling. I found now I've hit 51, I'm beginning to get age-related beauty adverts appearing on my Facebook. It's quite insulting, I actually got one recently, makeup for old ladies. <laughs> and I felt that I'd hit a bit of a Rubicon when, not, it was a little while ago I was speaking somewhere and I'd always before been given flowers and I was given some anti-wrinkle cream. <laughs> which said that it was age-defying and would give improved elasticity and firmness for challenging areas, <laughs> of which I have some. But, do you know, it is so liberating for us when we begin to grasp that God's eternal love for us means that we don't have to live according to how other people see us, but according to how God sees us. Have you begun to do that? Because God always sees you as you were designed to be. He's the one who looked at scared Gideon and called him a mighty warrior. He's the one who looked at Simon who was betraying him and said, you're Peter the rock. And he looks at you and he sees the amazing person that he designed you to be. And you're so different here but God will have different things for each of you to do. But we have to learn to look to him and see him looking on us. Because if we look to others, we will either end up being proud or we'll end up feeling inadequate. We just swing between the two. If we look to others, we end up jealous of what they have. But jealousy just evaporates like that fog when we see how much God loves us. And I think it, it, it was incredibly insightful of Augustine, the theologian, when he described sin as being like this, as being curved in on yourself. And how do we come out of sin? We do this, and we look to God. And I, I love it that um, the team here didn't really know what I was speaking on, and I didn't know what they were doing, but they've chosen as part of our prayer exercise later the picture of a sunflower just lifting its head to gaze at the sun. We're called to look at the most important eyes in the universe, gazing on us with everlasting love. And when we do that... Wow, it just changes everything. Because God's always inviting us to trust in his eternal plan to bless us. And I really found it such a privilege to write this book on blessing, which is partly about how, how we know God's blessing in a world that's wilderness and where there's brokenness and suffering. And it was so kind of God that in a way I'd had time to think through some of those things before this year happened to me. But, but God is always saying to us, I want to bless you. It's the very first thing he did in the Bible. It's the last thing he did before Jesus ascended into heaven. And it's what he is intending to do for you for all eternity. Doesn't that just give a little whisper of hope in your heart that that's where you're heading? You are destined for 
everlasting joy because God is not only the Alpha, he is the Omega. He's the end. That's the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And when I googled the word Omega, what came up was Omega Watches. And I thought it's a great name for a watch brand, actually. Keeping time to the end. Just have a think for a moment about a really happy moment in your life. Just give me a little wave if you've got it. A little wave, a little think. A happy moment. Hopefully, there is one happy moment somewhere in your life. Might, might be even when you were way back as a child. I can think of going for a long walk with my dad once when I was a child. I can think of going to Donegal uh, not very long ago, and it was so beautiful. And I, I was looking at this view in Donegal and thinking, if heaven's more beautiful, I just don't think it needs to be. We get little glimpses, moments of great joy on earth, but they're only a little glimpse of how glorious it's going to be because you and I are heading for everlasting joy. I love, one of the verses I love in scripture is that joy overtakes. Anybody here go running? Are there any runners? Yeah, just a few few runners. I'm really not one, so I don't know why I raised my hand then. But um, I am full of admiration for this lady who is known as the Iron Nun. And her name is Sister Madonna Buda, who runs triathlons. She's 86 years old, and she runs Ironman triathlons. That's a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bike ride, and a 26.2-mile run. I, um, my husband was, was a very keen runner, and he used to run marathons, and he used to laugh sometimes that he would get overtaken by rhinos or, you know, people dressed up in giraffe outfits or old ladies. And I just love this thing that in Isaiah chapter 35, God says, gladness and joy will overtake you. I love it that that's true for my husband that gladness and joy wins. And maybe you are at a point in your story where it feels like sorrow will win, but the promise, God's promise to you is that joy will win. Joy will overtake sorrow. And it's so important we know this because if we grasp that God is the beginning of our story and God is the end of our story, then we can trust him with the middle. And that's so very important for me because I'm at a hard point in the story. God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. And I only discovered last week that that word almighty in the Greek is pantocrator, which means holding all, that underneath us are the everlasting arms of God. And it really does change how we live if we grasp this. We become secure enough to be those who begin to take risks for God. 
And if your Christian life's a bit boring, it's probably because you haven't really got this. So often we're just living to please other people, we're living to their judgments, and we can be crippled by them. But you know, God is calling us to so much more. The Puritans said that their aim was to live for an audience of one. I'm really deeply challenged by that. But I have found that the more I meditate on this, I have become freer. And I've started to chat to people sometimes about Jesus on a, you know, if I'm on a train journey or a plane journey or something. And actually, the last time I spoke here, I was on the train back from Leamington Spa to go and stay with my parents near Oxford. And I ended up sitting next to a young lad um, who was, you know, covered with tattoos. And because I was thinking about, you know, God engraving his name on our hands and tattoos. I was genuinely interested. And I said to him, oh, you know, what was that like? And um, did it hurt? He was like, yes. <laughs> and we had quite a long chat all about it. And he really, you know, he was really into his tattoos. And he told me all about the different tattoos he was planning to have. And then I said to him, you know, uh, uh, we ended up talking around about God. And I said, could I pray for you? And the astonishing thing is I found that almost Every time I offer to pray with somebody, they say yes. That a lot of people have never had anybody tell them about Jesus. And I have to say, when I asked him, he, he said, no, no, I'm fine. Uh, I'm, I'm all right, actually. And I said, and I don't always sort of press it, but I said, are you sure you wouldn't just value prayer for something? Um, uh, no, that's right. What he says, I, I don't because I don't believe in God. And I said, oh, you know, don't worry about that because I do. And are you sure you don't want prayer for anything? And he said, um, well, do you know what? I, I just really, really want to be loved. And I was like, well, there's an open goal. And sorry to bring it back to football. Um, and uh, we talked a bit more and I prayed that he might know the love of God. And he was so deeply moved. And then he said to me, you know, there was, there, there was one of my friends at school who was a, a Christian. Um, but I never knew she was a Christian for all of school. She went to this club at, at, at our school called Jam, which was Jesus and me. But I thought they were just making jam. <laughs> and, you know, I just felt really sad he said, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm really interested in philosophy. I would have really liked to go and find out about it. And I thought, how many people out there are just waiting to know our everlasting God and nobody has ever told them? So we, we can just do those, make those little offers to pray a prayer for somebody. And that might feel a bit of a scary idea, but it's as we live in the love of God, that it will overflow. It's just, it's just how it works. That if you spend time gazing on the one who's gazing on you, it will spill over into the lives of those around you. It's just how it works. I absolutely guarantee it. God so longs to pour his love on us. And I spoke a few weeks ago in Northern Ireland, and we were talking about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, just looking at him. And we, 
um, I had to put a, I decided I was going to put a song on for the women who to just listen to and spend some time gazing on the face of the one who loved them. And I decided on one song, and just before I thought, I need to change the song. I need to change the song to what a friend we have in Jesus. So I went and said to the, the team, could we change it? And it was a bit of a kerfuffle, but they changed it. And the next morning, a, a lady came up to me in absolute bits. And she said to me, I'm, I'm, everybody knows me. I'm a really bubbly person. I'm not a crying type. But, you know, last night something very, very special happened to me. And the story is on my Facebook page if you want to read it, my Promise of Blessing page. And she said, I, um, my mum died when I was a wee girl of, I think it was eight. And my dad was a farmer. And he was really, really busy and he tried his best. But I just got handed round different families and... I, you know, I, I, he, he, he didn't ever settle us at night time. I never cleaned my teeth when I grew up. We just put ourselves to bed. And we never talked about mum. And I, I really bottled it all up. But um, as we sat down to gaze on the feet of Jesus, I'm all, I've always been a Martha. Everybody calls me a Martha. But I was Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And then the song came on, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And before my mum died, my dad gave her an organ. And I used to creep down the stairs and hide behind the sofa. I was supposed to be in bed. And her favourite hymn was What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And when it began to play, I just knew the love of Jesus for me. And I felt my face against Jesus' knee and I felt him stroking my hair and just saying, my child. And she said to me, I'm no longer a slave of fear. I'm a child of God. And I really believe that's what God's longing to do for each of his children. He's longing to pour out his love on you. And maybe some of you here, you know tonight you've been a slave to fear. You know that you, you've just been in a bit of a fog. But tonight, God is here, the everlasting God, the unchanging one, who is unchanging in the love that sent him to the cross for you. He's here wanting to pour out his love on you. So we're going to listen together to a song. And I want to encourage you to lift the eyes of your heart to see the Father gazing on you with great love. Don't strive. Don't wrestle. Just thank him that he loves you. Put your trust in him again tonight. And I'm just going to pray for that outpouring of God's love. Do you want to come, come up, Anne? We thought we'd have a mini kind of resting and receiving time, so we're going to play a song, Ruth Fazell, You're All I Need. But if you want to lie out on a carpet, you're very welcome, or if you want to go to the sanctuary, but uh, you might just want to spread out as the song happens. Lovely, lovely, thank you. I'm just going to pray before we play the song that 
Um, this might be a time of deep encounter with God. Father, we thank you for the times that we meet you and know you. It's what we're made for. And so we welcome you, Spirit of the everlasting God. We know, Father, it's your desire to pour out your love upon us. So come, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you and gaze upon you in all your beauty. In Jesus' name, amen. heaven and earth. You are my keeper. You are the shade at my right hand. You will not let my foot be moved. You who keep me, you do not sleep. Jesus. 